Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to get into the Word of God, and uh, we're going to see, again, the Word come alive before us, and it's just like Jesus to do that. But remember this phrase, because it's going to show up again a little bit later on, okay? Now, to keep closing that gap and to get acquainted, back in Indianapolis, where I uh, served as the lead minister of the church, Indian Creek Christian Church the Creek for many, many years, a bunch of us guys love to go mountain climbing, and we've done several of the 14ers out in uh, Colorado and beyond, so 14,000-foot peaks, and, and we've done Kilimanjaro in Africa and whatnot. But I want to tell you, I'm going to really open the door a little bit here on a stupid moment in my life. Very stupid was I. We were on our way back from one of those climbs. We were in the Denver airport getting ready to get on our flight home to Indianapolis, and uh, we were flying southwest. So if you've been on southwest, you know you're in group A, group B, or group C. So we were in the B line, and, and there were about 10, 12 of us. And so this young couple right in front of me, out in Denver, Colorado, they turn around and go, Pastor Gary? And I go, how do you know who I am? They go, well, we go to the creek. I go, you don't. Yeah, we do. We're on our way back to Indianapolis. We go to the creek. We're a part of your church. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, now the creek is it's fairly large. And so I don't know everybody. And I said, well, you know, open seating. Let's sit together. Let's get acquainted. And they said, oh, yeah, we'd love to get to know our pastor. So we're on the plane. The wife is sitting next to the window. The husband is in the middle seat. That meant, thank you, Jesus, I got the aisle. And so we're just talking away. And the young couple, they said, so, pastor, why are you out? Out here with these guys. I said, well, we're climbing mountains. <laughs> and I said, why are you two young ones out here? And they got real sheepish and they grinned and the husband said, well, my wife, she's in her first trimester. And I didn't hear trimester. I heard triathlon. That's what I heard. I, my brain went, she did her first triathlon. Well, they're having their first baby. They're out there celebrating and whatnot. And so we're, now, I've run a few marathons, and so I always ask the same question. When I hear somebody did a triathlon or something, I always ask this question. So I just turned to this young couple that I met for the first time from our church, and I just asked, so where did you do it? <laughs> now, I just want you to know, I'm going to push pause there, nobody laughed in the first service, okay? <laughs> nobody laughed. The response in this service is much different. Okay, so I, I, it was a long flight home. I just want you to know, and they no longer attend the creek. <laughs> Point of the story, and the, and the Lord just really kicked me in the backside. I need to work harder at listening. Leah, my wife of 44 years, keeps threatening to get me miracle ear for my birthday. I don't need miracle ear. I just need to listen more carefully. So that's all I ask as we get in the Word of God today. Let's listen carefully to what Jesus would have us to hear. Now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. And we always want to take a look at the context before we get into the content. So the setting for this passage is the city of Jerusalem. We're going to take a look at what we could call Central Christian Church in Jerusalem. Remember, there's only one church at this time. 
The great persecution has not yet happened. That's at the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8. All the believers were attending one church, Central Christian Church, Jerusalem. And it was a big church because in chapter 4, verse 4, we're told that it numbered 5,000 believers. So you give each one of those guys a wife and you give them 2.7 kids, and all of a sudden we're going to have a church of 15, 20,000 people. The very first church on planet Earth was a mega church there in Jerusalem. All right now, with all of that said, we're going to get into the text, and we're going to listen carefully. Here we go. Ready? Beginning in verse 1. In those days... <clears throat> When the disciples was increasing, so in those days as the church, Central Christian Church, kept growing and growing and growing and growing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows, the Greek-speaking widows, they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, the apostles, the 12 apostles, the spiritual leaders of Central Christian Church. The 12, they gathered all the disciples together. Those who brought the complaint, imagine that. The first church having a complaint. The spiritual leaders brought the people together in a meeting who brought the complaint, and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, those of you bringing the complaint, brothers, choose, from, uh, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. Everybody was happy in that meeting. Everyone went home happy. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That laying on of hands was very important. Not only did they give them a job to do, but they gave them the authority to get the job done. The laying on of hands, like when Moses put his hands on Joshua in front of the people. It says in Numbers 27, he gave him some of his authority. So this is a very important moment in the early church. And what happened as a result of that? Verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. They kept growing exponentially. And a large number of priests, even priests, working at the temple on staff, offering sacrifices, even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. They believed that Jesus was their Messiah. Incredible. Now, three things stand out to us, rising like cream in milk at Central Christian Church, Jerusalem. First of all, the crisis. This wasn't a simple matter. This was a crisis. Because when we look there in verse 1, in those days, these Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Remember, the New Testament church looked very Jewish Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God said to the people, make sure you take care of widows and orphans. 
you make sure you have a huge heart for widows and orphans. So what they did, they had a practice. They, uh, in Hebrew, K-U-P-P-A-H, kupa, it means basket. So they would literally, these 12 apostles, the spiritual leaders, they would go door to door, and they would say, do you got any bread left over? Hey, after you've eaten your one meal a day, do you have any fish left over? Olives, how about some figs for widows and orphans? It was called the practice of the kupa. Now, keep in mind, the whole Bible, whether you lived in the Old or the New Testament, you were in a survivalist culture. They, they worked in order to live one more day. They did not work, uh, live to work like we do. They worked to live one more day. So if you and I, Dad, we were, let's say, a farmer. We'd go work in the field to get something there to sell in the market to earn some money to keep our wives and our children alive for one more day. If we were fishermen, we'd catch fish, sell it in the market to keep our wives and our kids alive one more day. It was a survivalist culture. And people quite literally ate one meal a day, not like five a day like us, all right? One meal a day. And it was when the sun was setting, when the family was together, in order to have enough sustenance to live for one more day. Now, these widows, Greek-speaking widows, they were being overlooked in the daily, daily, everyday distribution of food. They ate one meal a day, and that word overlooked is a tense in Greek. That means it wasn't a one-time occurrence. So day after day after day, they did not get their one meal a day. So the Greek-speaking widows were probably putting together. What, were they, what was happening? They were starving to death. Exactly, starving to death. It was a crisis. Verse 1 is not some simple little church problem. It is a crisis. And what the good news is, as we go digging deeper into that text, is that they had heartfelt concern. The men in that church, the men stepped up to the plate. The men stepped up to the plate and went to the apostles, the spiritual leaders, and said, our widows are dying of starvation. We got a problem here in Houston, so to speak. And they, they, were, they wanted to be a part of the solution to the problem. They just weren't going to gripe and complain and moan and groan that they didn't like how things were. No, they were going to say, we're in on this. What do you want us to do to be of help? They had a heart of concern. And the spiritual leaders, the apostles, they were concerned. We, we want to keep these widows alive. So this is what we're going to do. You choose. And that word choose does not mean nominate and have an annual meeting and vote them in, that does not mean that in Greek. It means you carefully select seven men who have a reputation for being incredibly alive in Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit and God's wisdom. You look for mature men of God. It's not a popular nomination and democratic vote. It's not what that means. And they did. They found seven of them. And you know what? Those seven names, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, all of those names are Greek. Not one Hebrew name. So that means that these dads, when they gave birth to these boys, they gave them Greek names, which probably means they were Greek, which probably means they knew how to speak Greek. You talk about a right solution to the problem, phenomenal. They hit a home run on that one. And what happens then? We see they lived up to a commitment. 
the spiritual leaders, they said, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry and the word of, uh, of God, uh, prayer and the word of God. Two things. We're going to make sure that prayer is happening in and among us, all 20,000 of us here, in this, and we're going to take the word of God to thousands of people in the temple court. We're going to prove from the prophets that Jesus is Messiah. That's what we're going to do. They were committed to what God had called them as spiritual leaders to do. And those seven other guys, they said, we're, we're in. We're all in. We're going to go door to door to these thousands of now homes in Jerusalem. Every day when people are done eating their one meal a day, we're going to collect food for widows and orphans. We're going to keep them alive. Everybody bought in, and it was a win-win. Why? Because the word of God kept uh, uh, spreading. And this word in verse 7 increased rapidly in Greek. It means exponential growth. Thousands more came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. You talk about a victory. That's our passage today. Now, we want to be listening what? Very carefully. We've got to ask a question. You know, uh, years ago... There was a commercial, and uh, it was for whisk laundry detergent. And if you remember it, ladies, the, the wife, the homemaker, she had long brunette hair. She was soaking her husband's shirt in some water, and uh, she had sudsy hands. She was pushing her hair out of her eyes with her soapy, sudsy hands. And the commercial said, oh, she's tried soaking him out. She's tried scrubbing him out, but still she gets... Ring around the collar. That's right. Oh, those filthy rings. She's tried soaking them out. She's tried scrubbing them out. But still she gets ring around the collar. Now that commercial inferred that that lady did not know how to do the laundry. That's what it inferred. And that, that commercial needed to ask the most obvious question, and that being, when is that guy going to learn to wash his neck? That's what they should have been asking in that commercial. All right, now, we have an obvious question to ask. What does this passage mean for us today? You know, when people tell me that this book is old-fashioned, irrelevant, out of date, I go, really? Oh, let's look at maybe Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Looks like life today. Because, you see, we're facing a crisis today. We are facing a crisis. Let me just be painfully honest. The American church is in the midst of crisis. Just very quickly on this blackboard, so to speak, with uh, chalk, all of these different observations. Progressive Christianity is sweeping America where people, how oh, this book, it's not true. You've got to interpret it for the day and age. Really? And so now all manner of progressive thought is coming into uh, the Christian realm. Are we going to give in to progressive Christianity or hold to biblical authority? Inspired of God, inerrant, without error, infallible, incapable of error. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Unchanging truth. Every person's got to decide, is it or not in my life? As a result, we have cultural Christianity where we want to bend our knee to the culture. We want to look more cultural. Or will we be biblical and love our culture? We're allowing the culture to shape us rather than we shape the culture. 
What about biblical illiteracy among believers? So many people don't know the book. How can I live the book if I don't read the book, if I don't know the book? This isn't rocket science. Uh, Passive evangelism. Churches, if they are growing, more often than not, they are growing by transfers. Not conversions of people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus, being immersed in the faith. When's the last time you and I immersed somebody? That's our responsibility, you and I. We don't hire Mark to do that. We don't hire a pastoral staff to do that. It's our responsibility. It's not optional, people. If you and I wear the name Christian, I-A-N, that suffix means follower of Christ, we follow his teaching, we follow his example, we follow his command. And what is his command? All of you go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy, uh, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That command comes to all of us that wear the name Christian. When's the last time you baptized somebody into Christ? When's the last time you and I discipled them in the faith so that they would go and do the same thing? They would make a disciple of somebody. We don't hire it done, okay? What about uh, lukewarm discipleship? We have people who, who just want Christianity light, L-I-T-E. Pre-pandemic, the average attendance, you ready for this? Average attendance of a person claiming to be a committed member of a local church in America, they went to church 1.7 times, 1.7 times a month. That's pre-pandemic. It has only grown worse since. We're failing to reach and keep the next generation. Two out of three young people who are raised in the church now leave the church by age 29. We're not keeping them, let alone reaching them. If there were ever a thing that every church in America needed to do right now is have an enormous emphasis on the next generation of every little baby in that nursery all the way up through high school. Huge effort, huge investment in that generation because if not, if churches across America do not grow younger, churches in America are going to be closing left and right. We are in crisis. The issue of consumer Christianity is spreading like a cancer. What are you going to do for me? You know, I, I might come. If you keep me happy, I'll come. But if you don't keep me happy with the songs we sing, with the style of worship we have, with the schedule we have, uh, the times of service, if you don't keep me happy, I'm out of here. That's consumer Christianity. Uh, and Jesus, what, he, he never taught that. As a matter of fact, I remember Jesus saying in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be a Christian follower of me, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. So it's not an issue of the kind of songs we sing, the kind of a building in which we gather. The issue is, am I surrendered and deny, de denying myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Uh, leadership pipeline is empty across America. You know, churches one after the another cannot find staff. Our colleges, some of them are now closing. They're not producing the next generation of missionaries or ministers. E even churches are having a hard time getting the next generation to step up to the plate and be elders, to prepare to be the spiritual leaders of churches. We work with churches that have two elders, one elder, zero elders. And, and America, we're fundamentally broken. 
I, I can remember driving to the office uh, one Monday morning in June, and uh, there was a news report that said that weekend on Saturday and Sunday in a 48-hour period, listen, there were 11, 11 mass shootings that weekend in America. 11. A mass shooting is four or more victims. We are so fundamentally broken as a country. We're, we're facing a crisis, and the answer is not in uh, a donkey or an elephant, the Democrat or Republican parties. The answer is not in our government, in corporate America, in higher education. The answer is in a lamb, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our only hope is through Jesus Christ. And who are his hands and feet? We are. The church, the American church. So the question is, in light of the fact that we're facing a crisis, are we concerned? Like Central Christian Church Jerusalem, are we concerned? This is impacting our children and our grandchildren. This is their future. Are, how, how committed are we to step up to the plate? Men, men, just as in that church, they stepped up to the plate and said, we're here to help fix the problem. Men, are we going to step up to the plate and say, we are here? Men lead. Men lead. You know, the American church has a bell curve. Churches start, they have a launch, and that excitement, they grow and grow and grow. It's called momentum growth, but sometimes that momentum growth wears off. The new wears off, and they have to become strategic in order to keep growing in order to reach a place of sustained health, hitting on all eight cylinders. But regretfully today in America, about 85% of the 350,000 Protestant churches, 85% are on the wrong side of the bell curve. The majority of churches in America just hope to maintain attendance. They hope to maintain the offering. They hope to maintain their traditions. They hope to maintain the interest of people in their church. And those who cannot even maintain it, they then slip into life support. They don't know if they're going to be open at the end of the month, let alone at the end of the year. And even from that group, now, are you ready for this? Twelve churches, twelve, are closing every day in America. Twelve churches a day are closing. We're not gaining ground, Bride of Christ. We're losing ground to our one and only enemy. We're all Team Jesus. And we have one opponent, the kingdom of darkness, and we're not, we're not winning. We are facing a crisis. The question is, are we even concerned about it? And to what degree will we be committed to doing something about it? So what we, we want to realize is that we, we got to get healthy. And uh, the Fuller Institute of Church Health, they did some research, whether we're Presbyterian, Lutheran, uh, Southern Baptist, or whether we're independent Christian church, they did research of all these different churches, and there are three numerical barriers, 200, 400, and 800. If we're going to break those barriers, we have to do certain things, and I'm going to share with you what one of those certain things is. Now, there are always going to be barriers, and I believe that here on the crest of this hill, you can easily be a church of over a 1,000, easily. It can be done. And you've got to think that way, pray that way, and work that way. 
and it has everything to do with health. Think with me for a moment. In Genesis chapter 1, God created health. How do we see that? Because if you got good seed in the ground, good soil, rain and sunshine, whatever that seed is, it's going to what? It's going to grow. Organic growth. Gr healthy things grow. It's not only true about seed, it's true about babies. We saw babies in that uh, little video clip. What a great story that was on that screen a moment ago to celebrate. And uh, little ones grow. They get exercise, education, good food, and rest. They're going to grow. We all were little at one time, believe it or not. Healthy things grow. Well, it's true about a church. If a church is healthy, the church will be growing. You're not an address. You're not a time of service. You're a living entity, and living entities will grow if they are healthy. And let me show you right now what made the difference in Acts chapter 6. It worked then, and it will work today. Are you ready? Listen to what? Carefully. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle said to the church in Ephesus, beginning there in verse 11, it was he, meaning Jesus. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12, to prepare God's people for what? Works of service. See, a, a local church does not hire a staff to do everything. You are blessed. I, I get around the block, coast to coast, corner. We have a partner church in Kenai, Alaska. We have partner churches in Florida. Coast to coast and corner to corner. I've been in lots of churches, and I can tell you right now, you are blessed. You've got Jeremiah. You've got Chris. You've got Matt, the young ones. You've got an older one named Mark. You are blessed. Are you, are you appreciative for your staff here at Central? Can you show your appreciation, please? You're fortunate. Keep them. Know them, value them, love them. Because if you lose them, I'm here to tell you, you're going to have a hard time replacing them. Trust me. But you don't hire them to do everything. No, right here in the text, these people prepare God's people for works of service. They teach you, they coach you, they mentor you. And then notice down in verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, it grows and it builds itself up in love as what? Each what? Part does its work. Each part does its work. That's the key. That's what happened in Central Christian Church of Jerusalem. Everybody stepped up to the plate. What can we do to help? Come on, we gotta, we're in crisis. What can we do to keep these Greek-speaking widows alive? What can we do to help? And nothing has changed, people. From the first century church to this, the 21st century church, Central Christian Church, Bristol. This is what's going to make all the difference. Let me take those three C's. Let's do that, all right? Three, the, uh, three things are going to stand out. C, 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 when it comes to Central Bristol. Ready? First C, a can-do attitude and behavior. First Peter, it says in chapter 4, verse 10, that each of us has received a gift. 
from God. And what should we do? We should use that gift to serve others, thereby administering God's grace in its various forms. Every person has a gift. How am I going to use that gift for the glory of God? So if we're sitting and not serving, we got a problem, Houston. I call that hitchhiking. If I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm letting people wait on me hand and foot, and I know what my gift is, and I'm not using that gift for God, I got a problem with Jesus. Because you see, a gift, listen carefully, is meant to be given. A gift is meant to be given. And if I'm not using my gift to advance the kingdom of Jesus, I'm selfish, and I'm not a part of the solution. We should all be thinking, what can I do? I, I'm so grateful for the call, the challenge that Chris gave to us about the nursery ministry. Maybe that's where we can invest. And it's all for, see, Christ Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatever you and I do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Every thought we think, every word we speak, every act we do, can we do that in the name of Christ Jesus for His glory and His honor? It says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, God is speaking, and He says, whom I created for my glory. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I made for my glory. Do you know that we woke up today and we, by God's grace, have this incredible opportunity to bring him glory. Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. Uh, because of your great compassion, we are not consumed. Your mercies, they never fail. They are new every Morning, for great is your faithfulness. Because of his compassion, he did not claim our lives from us in the middle of the night. Because of his great compassion, he allowed you and me to live for one more day. Got it, church? It's his mercy. And they are new every morning. You know, right there in Hebrew, you know what that means? You and I today are seeing mercies that we have never seen before in our lives. I'm 66 years old. I'm in Club Med. That would be Medicare, all right? I'm in Club Med. I am seeing today, on this Sunday, August the 14th, 2022, new mercies that I have not seen on previous days in my life. That's the compassion of God. And how am I to live today? For His glory. How can I live for his glory if I'm holding out on him and not serving him with the gifts that he's given to me? I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm just bringing truth, and I'm speaking truth in love. We have a crisis, and we need to be concerned about that crisis and answering a commitment to it. And then com uh, compassion. Matthew 9.36 when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is a medical term. It's a biological term. It means that there's uh, deep within Jesus feeling that came up. The term is bowel or intestine. From his large intestines, when Jesus saw hurting people, compassion welled up for deep within him, and he wanted to uh, impact their lives. Can we say the same? Are we just like Jesus in that regard? 
Or when we see broken, hurting people who are far from God. Oh, sorry for you, you're just going to burn like a twig. Get ready. What, what's our attitude? Is it quick to pass judgment? Or is it quick to be of help? Because how we think determines how we live. How we think determines how we live. So, real simple, three life lessons today from the texts. See, can do. See for Christ Jesus. See in his compassion. Central Christian Church, Bristol, Tennessee. You're not an address on the bluff of a hill. You're not a time of service. You are the hands and feet of whom? Of Jesus. Of Jesus. Uh, Dr. Thomas Edison, incredible guy. We are sitting in a room from which is benefited by his inventions, over a thousand patents. When this guy was in Florida uh, at his winter home in Fort Myers, you can go there, taking the grandkids there a couple of times, and there's this dock that goes out in the water. It was rebuilt from pictures found on the Edison estate. And uh, it, he would fish for hours at the end of that dock. And when he was on that dock fishing, nobody could step foot on that dock, not even Mrs. Edison. He wanted to be left alone. <laughs> well, after he died and somebody was reading his journals, they found out one of the reasons why he was a poor fisherman. There are many a time he did not bait his hook because he didn't want the fish to bother him. He just wanted to sit and think. And the good doctor, this is one of his many quotes, he said 5% of people think 10% think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think. So let's just think, think. How am I serving Jesus? How am I just like him? In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are we following his example or not? You know, healthy things grow. When we're healthy, we're going to grow. Whether we, think, think about your little kids, your teenagers. Growing things change. They might be in puberty. And change challenges us. When that little one was two years old, no problem. Now 17 years old, ah, what a challenge, okay? But it's true of a church. When a church gets healthy, that church will begin, begin growing. Two services will get full, and then they'll need three services, etc. And that growth will change things. Change causes, uh, or health causes change, and many times that change is going to challenge us. We're going to have to uh, all be in, all on the same page. And challenges are going to force us to trust God. God's got this. Who, whose church is this? To whom does it belong? God. It's his church, not ours. And he's going to come through. We can trust him with this. And trust will lead to obedience, and when we obey him, that obedience is going to lead to even increasing growth. 
And you know what's going to happen? This wonderful health is going to come here. Tremendous health and vitality. And one generation after another is going to be bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And this is incredible. But we all have got to want it, and we all have to work for it. Otherwise, it will never come to be. So the question is, will we leave determined today to be just like Jesus? And God's people say, amen. Let me pray, please. Father, I thank you for my friends, my, my believing family here at your bride called Central Christian Church. Your bride. I'm grateful that you made our paths to cross some months ago. I'm grateful for a privilege to know Mark. So grateful for our many phone conversations. I'm so grateful to know Chris and Matt and Jeremiah. I'm so grateful uh, to know the elders of your bride here. I'm so grateful that with every visit on site or every Zoom meeting, you keep knitting us together more and more so that we can be a Barnabas one to another, brothers of encouragement. And now this day, Jesus, your day, the Lord's day, your house, your people, your book, may we leave all the more determined to be your hands and your feet for your glory alone. And give us the strength to have a true concern and renewed commitment to face the crisis that is before us. We believe that with you all things are possible, and it's in your name alone that we will ever pray, and together we say, Amen.